Anna Fam, uh, just as a heads up, when we get into the Oceanoko section of this podcast, we are going to get into talk about online harassment, uh, suicidality, uh, and death by suicide, uh, in talking in pretty nitty gritty detail about um, both Kane's arc and the uh, real world death of wrestling star Kimura Hana. So please take care of yourselves, okay? Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry. I'm the managing content editor for Anafem. You can find me uh, kind of sort of technically on Twitter at Writer Vry, and I'm also on uh, Mastodon.social at same. With me today is once again, Alex and Peter. Hey everyone, my name is Alex. I'm a contributions and technical editor here at Anifem. Uh, my other life, I also do uh, writing and research on queer representation in fiction for young people. And I have, in fact, officially finished the thesis so I can stop talking about it in my introductions to these podcasts. That means you're Dr. Alex. I am. I am indeed Dr. Alex. So, you know, I don't have a doctorate in anything to do with anime, but if you want to <laughs> introduce me like that or rock that out, I will happily take it. You know, I will absolutely do that. Yeah, I feel like Thank if you, I could <laughs> introduce myself that way. So, uh, yeah. I have already snuck it into my email signature wherever possible. Um, nice. <laughs> but Peter, <laughs> I'm uh, Peter Phobian. I'm a manager of YouTube content and strategy at Crunchyroll. I am at Peter Phobian on Twitter. Radical. Uh, before we get into the meat of things proper, normally we do sort of the social spiel at the end, but I wanted to pop right up at the top here that we officially have an Anifem tip talk that we will mostly be using for premiere and recommendation related stuff, sort of uh, bookmarking seasons. So, you know, they're already up this season and going forward, because they're a little bit faster to make, you'll be able to get sort of a preview of you know, mini versions of what our faves from any given season are. And uh, we, we're a little late to the party, so you can find us there at Anifem site. That's A-N-I-F-E-M-S-I-T-E. All right, putting that aside, we are gathered here today to uh, look back at the extremely packed spring 2023 season uh if you're joining us for the first time welcome here's kind of how things work we have a uh, mid-season and a wrap-up podcast and we go from our using our premiere digest as a guide we start at the bottom and work our way up a lot of the shows that are on the lower half of the guide we talk about more in depth in our mid-season and we tend to kind of skim over them in our wrap-up just so that we'll have time to talk about stuff like sequels. Uh, so if you are, we'll make a note here if anything major has changed. And if not, you can go back to our mid-season to look for more in-depth convos about those series. Let us start with something a little bit unusual this round. Uh, Tony wasn't able to be on this podcast. They uh, just got slammed with a bunch of other job type stuff. But they did record a few of their notes about Heavenly Delusion ahead of time because uh, they and Peter were the ones who managed to get through it all the end. We're discussing still whether or not we want to do a dedicated podcast 
for it, it kind of depends on Tony and my emotional energy and finding a third person and all of that jazz. But uh, I know that they were up and down about it throughout and I think ended up uh, disappointed overall with where it ultimately led things, uh, especially with the leads. So I will defer to them on this point. So Heavenly Delusion is a show I honestly wouldn't recommend. Like, at the end, it's really sad because I was really enjoying the world building and the suspense and the characters for the first few episodes. But as the show went on, the problems that I even noticed at the beginning with um, trans characters and and with um, just general lack of interest in the social themes that it's presenting got worse and worse. And and I'm going to explain a little bit what I mean by that. So, like, the, the story has kind of two main arcs going on, right? We have, like, Tokyo and, and their thing in the, like, Promised Neverland-like facility, and then we have Kiruko and Maru um, up, traversing this apocalyptic waste. And... Tokyo's story, I would say, fares a lot better. Um, like, over and over again, it f- gives the sense that, like, the way that Tokyo and her cohort have been kept in the dark about um, their bodies and about sexuality is a humongous way in which they can then be manipulated and used and denied bodily autonomy. And it, it really communicates this idea that, like, of these ideas about reproductive justice through Tokyo's arc in particular, um, because she's really over and over again kept in the dark and denied agency over her body. And her arc ends with the ultimate denial of agency over her body. And I guess, like, thematically what it's giving is, like, that being kept in the dark is the ultimate disempowerment. The ultimate way to rob somebody of bodily autonomy is to just teach them nothing about sex. Um, and I think that's not a bad message to have. And I think that, like, the intrigue and and suspense of that facility arc is really powerful, and I really enjoy it. But this show does not do well with Kiruko and Maru's arc towards the end. It, it, it just totally loses me. Um, specifically because of how it treats Kiruko as a trans character. Now I'm going to spoil a little bit of what happens towards the end. Um, Kiruko, so if you, if you're, if you don't want to hear what happens to Kiruko, um, feel free to skip to the end, um, of this section about Heavenly Delusion. Um, she finds Robin, well, they find Robin, I shouldn't say she, they find Robin, and Robin decides to rape her and make them his sex slave. Um, I know I'm using she and they interchangeably, it's very confusing. Um, And in doing so, kind of reads all of these different fetishes onto Hiroko's body. And, and the series really explicitly says it. It's like, Kiriko becomes at once the defiled woman, you know, as 
the sister character, the male protector because of, you know, um, Haruki, um, you know, watching his sister be raped in, like, her body being defiled like that. It's obviously a rape fantasy, and it's, like, very voyeuristic because it's kind of representing this way that Haruki, you know, clearly has feelings for his sister, and so there's also an element of voyeurism here, and it's just really gross and totally unnecessary, and is effectively trans-trauma porn. Um, it's done artfully, but, you know, ultimately that's just polishing a turd. And what makes it even worse is that Maru's reaction to it continues to center his romantic feelings for Kiriko, like, that had, and he just does not know how to stop centering himself for even a second, you know, and it's, supposed to be cute, but it's really just not. And, you know, it's great that Maru's not literally assaulting Kiriko anymore, but it's just very frustrating. Add to that some general incoherence of some of the episodes, and it's just... It's not really worth watching in the end of the day. I'm very frustrated. Anyways, that, that's my thoughts on Heavily Delusion. Um, Peter, did you have any kind of last two cents that you wanted to add as the other person who finished the show? Uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, Tony's going to go over all the most salient points. I, I will say I, I do think that they pretty definitively stated that it, it ended on uh, a down uh, since that's the, uh, the the sexual assault portion of the story was uh, all the way up until the final episode. I think it was the first half of the final episode. Even like problematic elements aside i really do think it kind of uh, at least personally uh, really hurt the central dynamic of the story for me because uh just well in addition to maru being very resentful of kuriko's uh searching for robin after he becomes romantically interested in them uh it kind of ruins the buddy dynamic that they had going forward and i feel like it kind of leaves it off in a place where He's just being very belligerent and forceful, even though it is not, uh, there's no return feelings. Uh, So that just, I don't think there's any way out of that. It just kind of, the the cool, friendly relationship they had, the the back and forth is kind of ruined by him constantly trying to kiss Kutuko and uh, getting really butthurt whenever Kutuko maybe shows romantic interest in somebody else or even something that could be perceived romantic interest if you took a huge leap i feel like that really like blew all the air out of the central dynamic of the series which was very disappointing uh i think some of the larger plot stuff was pretty interesting but i i don't know uh i've been keeping up with the manga like how much interest i have in pursuing it now that there's just like this wedge that's been formed between the two characters that you see most often that has made their relationship extremely uncomfortable uh even outside all the shit that happened with robin it's it's pretty tough to uh to root for a uh, sort of bickering friends to lovers dynamic when one of them is acting like an entitled uh douchebag the entire time and that that is owed access to their friend's body that kind of sucks yep it's it's real bad all right well we'll leave that where it lies uh for now and move up to a slightly happier end output which is my love story with yamada at level 999 alex you 
we're in a weird place with this one because for once the podcast is coming out after the recommendations. You recommended this one. You indeed did. I did, yes. So, I mean, the first bit of good news for our purposes here is that uh, basically all of the stuff that I found frustrating about the show seems to be front-loaded in the first half, which means we've already covered it uh, in our mid-season, in our three-episode check-in. Um, it ha- it does have some bumps along the way, but I honestly ended up enjoying this one. And shout out to my partner and my housemate, who are kind of the ones who inspired me to stick with it, because they diligently watched it with me for my three-episode review, and then were like, no, I want to see what happens next. Um, <laughs> so kind of... You know, as a sort of group watch every weekend, that was a very fun experience. And you know what? Uh, there have been rom-coms that have made my heart go doki-doki and made shoujo bubbles appear around me to a greater degree, but I did really like this one. It's sweet. Um, it's got a nice uh, sort of, you know, it, it works its way towards sort of a nice power balance between the two leads and... It also, you know, the finale works its way to a place, without spoilers, of course, where it nicely mirrors where they started and sort of gives you a nice sense through that parallel of how far they've actually come. And I would be interested in a second season um, to see, you know, what what's next for their relationship dynamic. Um, I mean, I would be excited for the idea of a second season just on principle because it is very exciting to have this uh, so very shoujo series look so nice consistently all the way through and obviously be you know treated with some nice production value that on its own is exciting and yeah I I honestly I had some nitpicks with it but it was just a nice time you know uh getting past that rough stuff with you know kind of the um stalking jokes and the little sister shenanigans earlier on it came to a nice place you know it came to a place where yeah i would happily recommend it though obviously with those couple of caveats and content warnings that we have uh flagged in the recommendations yeah i just eavesdropping on folks who are are fans of the source material i i know that um people have mentioned in passing that after this point where the anime kind of leaves off it it kind of opens a lot of exciting new ground for their relationship to develop so it would be nice if it got more material uh but if not i believe you can read it in english on uh mangamo which is not like the best online uh manga reader but definitely not the worst it's not the worst either, uh, because it is not the Square Enix one. You know, it functions. Uh, so yeah, you can also read the ongoing manga uh, if you liked what you saw in the anime, and it doesn't get a continuation. Speaking of things that are getting a continuation, though, I am sad to report that I watched three times as much anime as I usually do this season, and something had to give. And since it's getting a second core right now, that is Dead Mount Death Play. Uh, I just didn't have time, so I've only wa- I- I'm only halfway through the first core, but I do want to go back and watch the rest of it. Did are you up to date, Peter? Yeah, I finished it. Uh, I don't know what I really have to say about this one, though. It's just like it. It's a lot of shenanigans. And obviously there's this, like, uh, mystery plot developing around this mysterious sigil that uh, the I can't even remember what the guy's name is, the magician discovered. Hold Kakun! I know that's his host's name, but how did I not know? No, 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 the, uh, the, the magician guy, the one with the yeah. mustache. He oh. discovers the sigil. He's the one doing mm. the investigating, it seems, right? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Polka's involved now. Yeah. Uh, so I I enjoyed myself, but I feel like they really just since it's split core, they drop you in the middle of it. Like a, everything's investing 
in these like small pieces that are eventually going to come into some bigger revelations. Uh, and we just haven't discovered anything yet. So I kind of feel like I don't know what to say about the series yet since uh, like there's been no payoff whatsoever yet right. beyond just uh, if you're enjoying the series hijinks. That uh, I, I'll hope that it comes together a little better then because that was my sort of why I fell off from Do Ra 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 is I felt like it was spinning too many plates and couldn't tie them all back together when it came down to it. I, I wasn't going to say that, but I, that's literally my feeling. Yeah, it's like da 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 da. It's just like you could watch several episodes, like three episodes, and go like, did anything happen? Uh, no, but it was cool vibes. <laughs> yeah, did any? Did any? Was there any plot development in the, in the three episodes that I just watched? Um, it's hard to tell, uh, until later on, uh, with, I can't, I can't remember the writer's name. Um, uh, Nagita, uh, Nagita, I think. That's why I wasn't as hot on Dura as other people were when, when that series was huge. Narita. Sorry. I have to, con- I have to correct myself now. It's, uh, Ryogo Narita. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, I enjoyed myself. I have no idea where this is even supposed to be going yet. I I just hope things work well out well for the bartender and her two girlfriends, who I oh, presume yeah, yeah. are weed smoking girlfriends. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I guess we will put a pin in that one for now and check on it. I think it's in the winter that the second half comes out. So fingers crossed that it manages to tie things together. Mm. Uh, check back on our mid-season talk for this one folks something that i did finish and i was kind of sadly the only one uh was the dangers in my heart i talked a lot in the first half about sort of the stumbling blocks that this one had in the first half with just an abominable opening and some kind of boob nonsense sprinkled throughout but uh behind the scenes peak this one very narrowly got cut from the recommendations list and the only reason was that I put those posts together. I was in charge of writing up uh, or helping write up like four other things. And it was at the bottom of the priority list and there simply wasn't time. (laughs) So, uh, but I do recommend that folks check this series out because I think ultimately it's getting a second season and I will, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to enjoy it, I think. But it ends up in a really nice place where, this kind of becomes this story about two kids who are just extremely awkward and the show very nicely balances the fact that this is the most middle school thing on earth, you know, where they're both sort of trying to suss out whether the other one likes them and the other person is not getting it in this or that way. Uh, But, and they do manage to make some progress by the end. It ends on a really beautiful place of like feeling like, they found somebody else who understands them and it's not, you know, they're kind of getting to a undefined nebulously. Do we maybe like, like each other kind of way that feels really natural. Um, I still, I, I think that, you know, again, because it has a, uh, it's a, the manga author is a woman. I think she has a really deft touch for things like dealing with uh, the running background plot about Yamada having a stalker, uh, but it's in a really mundane way where he just like keeps showing up and inviting himself to things that her friends are doing or asking her friend over to do something because 
hoping that she'll feel awkward and, you know, go along so that her friend won't be alone or, uh, you know, cornering our protagonist when he's alone and being like, hey, can I get her contact info from you? I won't say who it's from. And it's like, he's just a very realistic, low-key creep. Um, so there's, I don't, even though it's full of jokes about being a middle school cringe fail nerd, I also think it, it has an element of, uh, of naturalness that I found really appealing and I was really rooting for them by the end. It's one of those things where like, these kids are not going to make it forever, but this is a really good first relationship and you're happy for them and like watching them get better as people. And, you know, the production is kind of soft and nice and it's just a, it's just a nice show. Um, putting aside the, the caveats that we discussed in the mid season. So yeah. Um, hopefully because it continued to improve so steadily all throughout the first season, hopefully the second season will be just strength to strength and you will see that in the Rex post when it comes out. Whomst among us was not a middle school cringe fail nerd. Considering the job we ended up in high probability. (laughs) Uh, Oh, uh, so I jumping up the list a little bit, it feels like we should take a moment to talk about why Ray Liana ended up in the Duke's mansion. Peter, you were the only one, I think, who finished this. Lizzie is a fan of the webtoon, but they dropped the anime, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel really bad making this comparison, but I got very similar vibes to kind of my home hero, where the adaptation made it difficult to tell how good the source material was. Because uh, with my home hero, I'd heard really good things about the manga, but just like none of the uh, like story tension or like horror or uh, like the like the visceral scenes really felt like they landed just because I, I I just the adaptation didn't lead into them well or or like managed to create that sense of atmosphere I kind of got the same feeling with uh, why Rayliana ended up at the Duke's mansion I don't know I can't think of a short way to shorten that title when I say it a lot but uh Rayliana I'll say that but uh <laughs> there you go it kind of I was finding it difficult to know what like emotions it wanted me to feel at certain points. Cause you'll get like a single scene where it jumps from her being afraid for her life and then trying to keep up this persona that she's uh, been like her public face uh, in, in the face of like some like imminent danger in like a very tense social situation that could affect the Duke's reputation. And then going hog wild in like a comedic way where she just empties a gun at a dude that she doesn't like and then making a joke. And this was all in one scene. And I was like, I don't know if this is the adaptation, not managing to move these moments into one another in an effective way, or if the source material just kind of jumped around emotionally like this. So, and that was unfortunately how I felt about the majority of the plot developments. It was hard to really get a bead on how I was supposed to feel about most things. And uh, it was another series um, where I kind of just felt like the plot was on fast forward. I, I don't know how much was adapted uh, of the, the original source material, but it felt like everything was moving at an extremely quick pace, which uh, also contributed toward me just feeling like I got whiplash in half the scenes. Um, That's a shame. I wish I had more nice things to say about it since I know it's got a really kind of stellar reputation and i i felt like it had probably had some unique ideas in it but it just didn't i i couldn't ever 
uh, sync up with uh, the story that I was watching, I guess. Yeah. So this is this is maybe one where we encourage folks. Uh, I believe it's on one of those free to read sites, so it's a pretty easy investment uh, if you want to go check it out. I can't remember if it's on Webtoon, the website, but yeah, um, this is maybe one to check out for reading and not so much the anime adaptation, which is too common a story. But we live mm. in hope. I think you can also buy it physical. Oh, nice. Well. Right, because they're binding uh, comics and uh, web comics now. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Skipping up a little to something else that showed up on our recommendations post. Alex, do you want to give a little shout out to Otaku Elf? It seems like it sort of stuck the course from mid-season, but... It very much has, and I, I won't talk too much about this one at the risk of, you know, repeating myself on the recommendations, but this one's nice, folks. It's just a nice time. Um, really, the only couple things to flag are, you know, the thing that I mentioned in the recommendations post where there's kind of a, a joke. One was in the way that you will have a side character and they kind of have one joke attached to them. Her joke is that she has a, a straight-up gambling addiction, which seems, you know, not in the best taste. Um and the other thing, which I really didn't expect, is this show is kind of is sad sometimes. My silly nerd elf show is sometimes sad. Um, in a very, you know, bittersweet and moving kind of way. You have this great sort of through line about, yeah, this elf character is immortal. So she's, you know, one of the reasons she is so anxious and so shut in is because the world has changed so rapidly around her and she's really trying to keep up with everything. Um, and you also have this great little plot line where the human character, Koito, uh, her mother died when she was quite young and her mother was the previous shrine maiden in the role that she's currently in. And so she has this sort of thing where she's trying to step into the shoes and emulate this woman that she's never actually met, but her relationship with Elder, the elf, the goddess, is kind of this little this little bridge to kind of rebuilding her relationship with her mother, who she doesn't remember. Um, it's very sweet. It's also very silly. Has a lot of you know things that will make you chuckle. But I don't know. It it had as I as I wrote even all the way back to the first episode. It has this interesting extra depth that I was pleasantly surprised by that I think really elevates it. And yeah, I would say put this on your shelf next to sort of slice of life supernatural comedies like say Flying Witch or even like Sleepy Princess in the Demon Castle. It's it's that kind of vibe. It's a it's a fun chill time to spend. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna go in the watch list next to Healer Girl of recent seasonal anime that I wanted to watch and simply could not make time. Oh, yes, there. As, as we keep saying, summer's looking a little bit dry, so maybe we can <laughs> take the time to come back to some of these uh, from from more bountiful seasons. Uh, Peter, you mentioned that uh, you two have been quite busy, so you finished only uh, a paltry dozen shows, which means you had to drop a galaxy next door. Uh, yes, I, I. Although I did uh, to prepare for the season, I read all of the manga that was covered by the anime. Uh, which I can say pretty much stayed the course. Uh, we talked about how it had a kind of problematic premise with the guy being kind of magically enslaved to the girl. However, that just created a venue for them to be very open and communicative about their situation and try to resolve it like two um, mature and respectful adults. <laughs> and they do resolve it. They, they managed to pull the thorn out of him so that uh, there isn't this... Um, uh, you know, magical uh, uh, I, I contract between them anymore. This uh, this uh, 
marriage proposal made by her alien tail. But uh, of course, it turns out they actually do like each other, and it turns into a nice little rom-com. I really love the work of this uh, series author, Mangaka, uh, and I think they just have a really good way of kind of creating these low-stakes series that really kind of dive into characters' personal feelings in ways that kind of avoid a lot of typical anime tropes, typically by uh, making characters kind of communicate often, explain their feelings, and reach understanding, uh, which is very, uh, very odd for the genres that they work within. So I know that the, I mean, I, you could either watch the anime or, or read the manga. I would, I would probably recommend both. Uh, big fan of Sweetness and Lightning too. Uh, just I, anytime this manga can make something, I'm, I'm probably going to read it. I, I know that uh, Dee hadn't had a chance to finish it, but she was enjoying it as well. And the production seems, if not like shiny Sakuga stellar, then pretty solid. So this might be one for folks to check out if they want like a very chill, uh, communicative rom-com about adults, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's very, uh, what do you call it? It's a it's a nice comfort show. You know, like nothing super traumatic is going to happen. It's going to be really sweet. All the characters are great and you can just visit them once a week or all at once if you're binging it postseason, something like that. I recommend it. Cool. Uh, I accidentally skipped over one, so we're going to do that now. Hell's Paradise, uh, a series that I did and did not finish in that I fell a few episodes behind on the anime, but I have read the manga uh, to a little bit beyond where the anime ended. And it's pretty much a panel-for-panel panel remake, so I feel like that counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of my oh, okay. opinion. Not sure what to <laughs> that say. That noise doesn't bode well. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to um, at least continuing to read more. We'll see if I have time to go back and watch more of the anime, because like, it's, it's, Mappa's, Mappa's making pretty Mappa work, you know. Uh, commentary about their exploitative working conditions goes here. But I think this, uh, I think I said this in the mid season, but like this series uh, has a, is doing a lot with gender. I'm not sure if it's doing a good, but it is doing a gender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I can really comment on that aspect of it. I do want to say, I think Yuji Kaku is one of the more interesting uh, people working in the, the Shonen Jump uh, environment. Uh, Hell's Paradise itself is a pretty short series at only like 13 volumes uh, I read the whole thing and I really enjoyed it it was kind of refreshing to read a shorter shonen action series uh, that had a pretty satisfying ending I haven't gotten that uh, uh, in recent history uh, from actually I'm not sure if it was Shonen Jump or Shonen Sunday uh, one, of the, one of those two that, that it general. was Jump Plus Jump Plus, Jump Plus, yeah that makes sense um yeah, I do, uh, regardless of how all that, I actually think you're going to enjoy it more later, Vry, with some of the new characters they introduce. Uh, Rock on. I do think it is very good for having uh, parity between its co-leads. You typically, in this sort of situation where there's a, a guy and a girl main character, something like Fairy Tale, the guy absolutely takes over when it comes to plot importance, and there's usually a romantic element uh, that develops over the 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 plot right um and i really respected that uh i I, this might be a bit of a spoiler but uh they remain platonic and they are both very and in fact they're like mutual understanding 
uh, and like their development as spurred by one another become very central to the progression of the plot. So I felt like there was a lot of equity between the two of them uh, in like a nice, cool platonic relationship with the two main characters, which is very uh, unusual for Shonen Jump. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect of the story. So, Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, when I make big Uggs, dramatic Uggs sounds about gen, uh, the gender of it all. This whole thing yeah, smacks yeah. of gender. Um, I do think it is, it, it's one of those you tried type series. And I do continue to find it interesting if a little bit fumbly, like it's, it's really trying to talk about male and female as a set of traits rather than on the one hand it wants to talk about like coded male traits and coded female traits and how people have a mix of those and that's a good and healthy thing and it makes you a more rounded person and you Mm -hmm. see that with like both Sagiri and Gabimaru and then it gets into the bad guys uh, who because they are shape-shifting plant monsters also are uh, body shape-shifters and on the one hand, kind of cool and interesting, and it's a you know their ability to shed gender uh, is a sign of enlightenment. But also, they're you know m- alien monsters, and uh, the one of them who is uh, cis and femme all the time is there to be a sexual assault victim, and I don't love that. Like it's not shown on screen, but it's implied. So it's a it's so much. Um. <laughs> I don't think I have a coherent thesis on that. It's just, well, you've made an attempt. And I feel like when I put the bar on the floor for Shonen handling gender, you're, mm. it, it, I'm not, it, it's, it's a little more OU than uh, being wildly offensive, if that makes sense. And as always, our uh, pitch submission box is open if someone does have feelings about this and wants to you know, Please do. articulate that in, in yeah, 1,000 to 2,000 words. <laughs> it really is. And, and I feel like what gives me some of the uh, some fondness, uh, not fondness, but like some forgiveness towards it is the fact that, you know, it is trying to do this stuff with Sigiri, uh, trying to talk about emotional openness with Gabimaru. Um making uh neuter guy the sort of typical you know what i had no idea you were a girl type character but not giving her a complex about that she doesn't give a fuck um and i actually kind of want to tip my hat to the anime for even showing a little more restraint than the manga with yuzuriha where i was kind of worried it would be gross oh you mean her ninjutsu (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. well and even with her outfit you know she's got uh, she's got a very revealing outfit because, uh, you know, she uses seduction Fujikomine style as a tool, but the uh, art is fairly non uh, matter of fact about it, which mm. I appreciate. Yeah, there are a, a surprising number of Fujikomine parallels in this show. I, I'm I'm definitely going to read the rest of the manga. I think it is more interesting and thoughtful than. A lot of battle shonen that get as far as an anime, I think it is still flawed or rudimentary in some other ways that it would absolutely not get away with if it weren't a jump show. Because, let's be real, we've all put the bar on the floor. But, I don't know. I, um, I'm i glad to be following it around 
especially because it is short and manageable. So, yeah, I think, especially if you're into body horror, the body horror continues to be choice. Oh, yes, it's very good. Also, the place where they ended off the anime is cheap. It's just a cheap plot cul-de-sac that goes nowhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, that uh, that development in the manga... It was very, I was just like, why'd you put this in? And are you going to do anything with it? Oh, you're not. Uh, I, I think maybe he realized uh, that he didn't really want to do it after all, <laughs> right after introducing it. So yeah, if you are a Shonen Battle fan already, this one has a lot going for it. If you are not somebody who likes them at all ever, unless you're super into body horror, like Annihilation, The Thing type stuff... This one's probably not, like, transformatively brilliant. It's just interesting and ambitious, and I respect that about it. Mm. I can't believe that I'm the only one on this call who watched Oshinoko. Yeah, like, our whole staff watched it, except for... Uh, except for you I've, two. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched the first couple episodes, um, and, of course, I've had the opening theme song stuck in my head for about a month, if that counts. <laughs> it's so good. I am... It's so... Oh my, I'm just like... Yosobi, they make they make the good shit, and I'm so glad they're getting so many gigs um, for doing anime openings. Excellent workout music as well. But um, I know that we, you know, we being the staff and also the general kind of broader discussion about this show has been a little bit up and down all over the place. Uh, in our TikTok, for example, which you plugged before, we described it as it's a mess, but it's our mess. And I would love to hear more about that and what that means. Uh, so... A while ago in the Anafem Discord, which uh, y'all can join if you become a member of our Patreon, it um, somebody mentioned Unrelated uh, talking about, you know, old 90s shows where you would sit through a, sh- a show with a shit male protagonist because all the secondary female characters are really great. And that's relevant. <laughs> that really? Oh, Other people are... Um, are warmer on him than I am. I think Lizzie and Chiaki don't at least abjectly hate him. Um, But Aqua is a tough protagonist for me and a real hurdle to recommending the show. Uh, In fact, you know, my partner outright refused to watch the show with me because uh, in their words, they hate watching uh, shows where genius boys monologue about how much smarter they are than everyone else. (laughs) And that is a whole genre. (laughs) Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony covered a lot of this in their uh, recommenda- their write-up recommendation. Uh, I'm going to be pointing people towards that a lot. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a case where he does get better as the show goes on, mainly because you can feel the manga author going, shit, fuck, shit, I want to write romantic subplots into this. And so at a certain point, he throws out the bone that, oh man, uh, I noticed that as I've been aging, my, my, my mental age is really syncing up with my physical age. So it's not at all creepy and weird if I start to have romantic tension with these other teenage girls. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, so he becomes a little bit more like, it, it becomes less obtrusive, the problems from the first episode. But th- there are multiple intrusive plot elements where... Basically, he will do something that everyone's like, this is a terrible, a bad idea, or this is invasive of somebody's privacy. Uh, But it's fine, because it worked out for the best. And I think the one that kind of went around discoursing uh, for everybody that we can't in 
responsibly not talk about is uh, Akane's introductory arc, where essentially Aqua goes onto a reality dating show uh, because the producer need cast him basically in uh, as a trade for information about his mother. And while he is on there, uh, one of his co-stars who is sort of shy and having trouble standing out and she's really worried about, you know, representing her agency well or and not being a good, um, you know, and, and feels like she has all this weight on her shoulders about not just her, but her parents and uh, the people who are repping her and her burgeoning career off the stage and into other media. Uh, she kind of gets pushed into a corner of needing to act more dramatic so that she will make an impact and get more screen time, you know, which leads to more roles. And, sort of in the heat of the moment she gets frustrated and slaps another character who is a um who is kind of the, sh- the show darling like everybody's fave and she they immediately make up afterwards but she gets the villain edit uh, which i'm sure those of you who've ever watched reality tv are probably familiar with you know where you cut out the surrounding context so you only have the heightened dramatic moment where this person looks terrible uh and she gets death threats on social media and um eventually spirals to the point of attempting to commit suicide at which point um at which point aqua uh narrowly saves her right before she steps off a bridge um and so the reason that this is so very tasteless uh is that the manga author talks a little bit about how he was partially inspired by the uh, live action Kaguya-sama cast and how they got a lot of harassment. And so I think this is meant to be something of a gestalt, but it's you can't get around the fact that this is in a lot of ways one-to-one um, drawn from the death of Kimura Hana, who was this absolutely brilliant young wrestler. Um, and she went on this show called Terrace House, which was sort of known as the chill hangout reality show where people just go and they talk and maybe they fall in love, but everybody's having a good, sweet time. Um, and allegedly, uh, you know, sort of <clears throat> she was encouraged to sort of, uh, you know, to sort of act, you know, play play things up for the camera. And she had an argument at one point where she accused another cast member of like touching or damaging her ring gear, which is a big deal. Ring gear is very expensive. And that's it. That's the whole argument. She gets a villain edit um, and receives an absolute deluge of, of uh, hate mail and harassment online. Uh, a lot of it extremely racist uh, because she was mixed race and um, she took her own life. Um, and it was a horrible story. There's currently a lawsuit going on um, where, her mother is suing Fuji TV uh, because a lot of the reason that um, Hannah felt so backed into a corner is that the producers basically told her that if she pulled out, then they wouldn't be able to air the show. And that would basically be on her shoulders. Um, and uh, Kimura's mother herself actually commented when the, sh- the episode of Oshinoko came out that she found it extremely triggering and she didn't, she was, honestly extremely classy about it in her comments where she didn't you know disparage the show for existing but basically what she said was you know this was triggering to be reminded suddenly out of the blue of something that so resembled her daughter's death um and the fact that the producers 
didn't approach her in any way about discussing what might be an ethical uh, approach to telling this story, you know, didn't even have the conversation with her. Um, felt like sort of a dire oversight in this show that is being, you know, praised, I think justly in some ways, for shining a light on the exploitation of young people in the entertainment industry. Um, and I think it is, I think it is a mark against the show, especially, um, especially given that the, after that episode aired, the series had a recap episode. It's only 11 episodes long in a recap. And the recap episode is in light of that context, a little bit disgustingly self-congratulatory. Um, you know, I think it's one thing to be proud of the work you're making to talk about the fact that this is something that should be talking about. Um, a few years or a few weeks back as we're recording, we actually included uh, an interview with Yo Asabi, uh, Asobi about um, about their influence for the song and how, you know, they too felt the like the truth and the pull of, of what the series is doing. It's clearly a powerful thing. I really like the show overall, but this is just a a sad and upsetting thing and it's just wildly irresponsible and it sucks yeah no well 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 put well articulated i knew some of that context but not all of it um and i mean i i have no kind of place to comment because i haven't watched that far in the show but it is certainly uh highlights a really interesting kind of dark gray space where you want to Maybe you earnestly want to make a critique of the entertainment industry, drawing from real life. But if you get if you draw too much from real life, you risk hurting the people who are still very much in that space and who have really, you know, in real life have been hurt by that space. Those exploitations that you are fictionalizing, which they don't. Mm, it doesn't seem to be. There's no way we can sum wrap that up nicely in you know this short segment. But it is a very interesting discussion. But has been raised. Um, it, it is also worth noting that when we talk about the discussing real events, that's something that anime does a lot. Um, you know, um, Yurikuma Arashi, right, was partially inspired by the sarin gas attacks. Uh, but that was 25 years afterwards, something like that, 20 years maybe. Um, Kimura Hana died in 2020, which was weeks before the relevant manga cap chapter came out. Mm. but yeah i mean that i think that is a a major caveat given the goals of the show and i think something that should be talked about i also think that i do still i think this is still in some ways a special and important show i do think that um it just sort of leaves it's it sort of is interesting and will be interesting as the series gets older, goes on, and finishes to see um, how it codifies what is acceptable as um, as criticism and what sort of gets swept aside in the name of chasing this greater good. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a heavy series. It's a fraught series. I love the female cast so much. Like every female character is just really well-rounded, really interesting. Uh, the idol arc after Akane's introduction is really moving and Aqua's barely in it at all. So you get to watch the um, the girls all kind of interact and get closer. And in, 
um, I think I mentioned this in the mid-season, but I think what's so great about the series and something that I've really been hungry for is it's this show that's uh, very frank about the pitfalls of the idol industry without shaming these girls who are still drawn to it and still feel inspired by it. And I think that that's a very hard needle to thread. Uh, and those storylines consequently can be very moving. So yeah, it sort of inevitably got renewed for a season two because it was ev it was on everybody's lips for at least a minute there. And I will absolutely be watching it, but yeah, it's um, it's definitely a fraught one. So we will see. We will see for sure. Uh, now to hop genres again completely. To another show that only I watched. <laughs> you fucks. I, I wanted to get to this one. I really did. This is Insomniacs After School. It's, it, it did like, it had elements in that first couple episodes I did find very interesting. But again, it's a terrible case of just there were other things that were more compelling that were taking my time this season. I may go back or... I don't know. What what did you think, having been the brave soldier who actually watched it all the way through? <laughs> it's a good show, um, right? It's it's a show that I respect more than I liked. I never really clicked with it, uh, even as I sort of got through the back half, maybe watching it at 1.5 speed. You'll never know. Um, that <laughs> I, I really... I, I really got a handle on and appreciation where it was going with the main cast. It's a very pretty show. There are cute cats in it. And I think that there's something extremely, your mileage may vary about shows like this that are extremely slow and quiet and meditative, where either you click with the vibe or you don't. And I just kind of didn't. And I think I can, I, you know, I can sort of, winnow into why that is i think that the secondary cast is a lot weaker than a lot of the other boy girl rom-coms that aired this season um they're a lot less memorable the leads are extremely well developed uh the uh arcade lady who's their senpai is very cool and definitely a uh trans cat girl that's just my head cannon, but i'm sticking <laughs> by it <laughs> um but yeah it's um it does it, it's what it is, is it's a quiet contemplative rom-com that sometimes around the edges talks about anxiety and chronic illness. Um, and so the, the anxiety, chronic illness, insomnia stuff was the stuff that I was primarily interested in. And it is not the show's fault that it is primarily interested in being a rom-com. Not even a rom-com. It's more of a straightforward romance. It's, it's a very, um, not stodgy, but serious little show. Um, so it is not the show's fault that it made those decisions. It just meant that it was harder for me to stick along with because I was less invested in the world. I do think it it has some really beautiful conversations about uh, those subjects uh, as the two kind of get closer. Uh, Magari is still not the protagonist. She's she's very much the secondary character, but it does the show does give her space to not be you know the sort of uh, the, the magical uh, manic pixie dream girl who is improving this guy's life. You know, there there is time given to talking about how she's been influenced by having heart trouble as a kid and how she's, you know, got these anxieties about whether she might die young uh, and how she has these frustrations with feeling pitied by other people around her. And, you know, it gives serious weight and time to those discussions. So it feels like it respects her beyond being a love interest, which I really appreciated. And, you know, it talks, um, 
there's a lot of talk about, you know, anxiety and uh, stemming, you know, fears of abandonment. And it's not, I think it's skittering around the edge in some places of you don't need therapy. You just need to find somebody to fall in love with. It does like, it's not saying that it doesn't feel like it's purporting that, but it, it is a little bit like nobody even floats that as an option. And of course it's because, you know, mental health care is a very different subject in Japan. Um, it's, you know, there, there's a lot more stigma about it even than there is uh, in, in America where there certainly is a lot. Um, but, and so a lot of the focus is on these two people sort of through each other, learning to talk, to basically do talk therapy with each other uh, about why they have these anxieties around going to sleep and sort of take steps towards being better. And yeah, it's, it's a good show. It's well told. It looks pretty. I think if you are looking for a, a very sort of a quiet romance series, um, boy, girl romance series, it wasn't for me, but I, think it is worth recommending that people give it a shot because it is good nice very nice please god someone else talk now alex you talk about yuri is my job <laughs> i will i will you could please take a breath go off the stage i will <laughs> i will stand up um so in fact yuri and my job we actually already did a full podcast watch along on this um because there is just so much to talk about um, and I think, and this is a series that's been on our radar for a while, um, all the way back to recommending the manga, like, you know, a few years ago, when now obviously there's more of it, and there's this adaptation. So, you know, take a chance to get hooked in. Um, this one I really enjoyed, as we did discuss in that other podcast, um, but is, I feel, important to mention here. It has a couple of adaptational stumbling blocks, and it makes the decision to end on a kind of a weird note that, um, not not undoes the themes that it was building up, but kind of uh, sort of loops back in on itself and attempts to wrap itself up with a nice bow in case it doesn't get a second season, presumably. Um, but in a way that it's like, didn't we just establish that these characters are very messy and all these things can't be resolved super quick and actually this place is far more complicated than we've been letting on? The show goes, nah, no, 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 it's fine. It's cute. So here's the fun, you know, here's the curtain call. Wasn't that great? Okay, bye everybody. End credits. And you're <laughs> you're sort of left going, huh? And uh, you know, combine that with the fact that it also adds like an unusually high amount of boob jiggle fan service in the final episode. It ends on a uh, bit of an odd note, shall we say? But um, all the material leading up to that was great. Really interesting stuff. Um, have a Look at this one if you're interested in kind of like messy teen interpersonal drama, um, if you're interested in kind of uh, the way it interacts with and not deconstructs, but let's say plays with and plays on the kind of tropes of the history of Yuri and Class S um, and the way that those tropes kind of provide a scaffold for these characters to try and understand their relationships um, to um, mixed results shall we say. Uh, it's very fun. It's very, it's very good. If you're looking for a show of like, you know, there's multiple queer characters, so it doesn't, it's not a representational failure if one of them is perhaps a bit problematic and messy because they're all very problematic and messy in their own different ways. It definitely has that going for it as well. So if that peaks your interest and you haven't checked it out yet, maybe go have a, you know, go, go have a peek at our, our wrap up podcast or just go dive in and start watching the show and see if it's for you. Cause it may not be for everybody, but I think it has a lot to offer. Yeah. I, uh, I, I will continue to be the, uh, 
the the one guy evangelist of of Yuri is my job, the best schoolgirl Yuri currently running. Uh, but you summed it up nicely, and then we talked about it for a whole hour. We did, and we could have kept going because, again, like thematically and character study wise, there is a lot to chew on. So, again, if that sounds like your kind of jazz, then you know, go go to that cafe, sit down with a cup of tea, and <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> uh, Skip and Loafer is one of the is the last of our non sequels, and it is very one of those shows that's like this was stupendous. Also, it was just kind of nice, and the kids are good. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be real with you. One of the reasons that Insomniacs fell off my radar is because Skip and Loafer was just was filling that niche for me, and it was filling it so incredibly well. I didn't <laughs> that it would have it would have paled in comparison. Um, yeah. yeah, this one was nice. It was really really good. Um, again, I won't say too much at the risk of repeating what I already wrote in my recommendations, and also yeah, because Riot's kind of as as you as you folks covered in the mid season. Um, you know, if you want to dig into discussion, there are things that you can sort of pick apart, but also, you know, any any issues that it does have only stand out because for the most part, it is just fantastic. It is just a really well put together, like kind of a combination coming of age drama and like high school slice of life, woman fuzzy feelings show. I feel like it walks that line in a very, very competent way. Yeah, honestly, I, I was left very sad that um, of the large slate of um, boy-girl rom-coms this season that um, Dangerous in My Heart was the one that got a second season and not Skiploaf because I feel like as much as I enjoyed Dangers, it, it left off on a very tidy place and Skiploaf has this huge cast that I want to see more of. Yeah, it's like you, like, I think there's only... Uh, one character I do not like in that whole series and everybody else feels like they uh, maybe don't necessarily have like their own storylines, but definitely could uh, uh, like everybody's kind of got, it, it's weird. It's a comfort show where everybody's kind of got a hang up, but uh, it's like about how they are able to navigate it by having such a supportive group of people around them. Uh, definitely one of those comfort, feel-good anime that you can just watch every week, uh, knowing that it's going to be nice to watch, and it won't, I don't think you, you won't feel very challenged by it or get any nasty surprises. I just want to shout out, uh, My Clueless First Friend was also in the zone for me. I, I definitely, if I had to choose between the two, I'd say Skip and Loafer was like kind of leagues ahead in terms of production quality and, and content, but uh, both of them were just kind of these really nice shows that, uh, I was looking forward to every week. Nice, yeah. I am um, the one thing. Maybe, maybe we, it's best we don't get into this now, just in case it's spoilers. But I do want to give a shout out as well to Now Chan, of course, the certified cool her. auntie and mental mm. character who is just, again, as I said in my review, just so warm and refreshing in a media climate where just like trans women and trans fictional characters are being treated with such suspicion and vitriol. It was just. Just the way she was handled and so matter-of-fact, I found very sweet. Um, are you uh, caught up on the mang- manga, Peter? I, just I only had... read what was going to be adapted. Okay, because I just, uh, I know that I have seen manga panels floating around of, like, kind of uh, Nao-chan's backstory, like, pre-transition and hanging out with Mitsumi as a little kid. It's a very cute scene. And the anime kind of alluded to that moment, but it didn't include it. So I wondered if that was, like, something that had been cut for time or something that we may get to, like, later in the story. 
Well, I mean, now now Sean was definitely one of the characters who I felt like really kind of had uh, some thought built into her backstory uh, and like with the intention of like developing them more later and like, you know, have, having some story arcs. Uh, I haven't read that in the manga, but it does not surprise me to hear that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's, I just, I had a, I had a moment of worry. I thought, oh, did that like backstory get cut for some reason? But if we haven't gotten to it yet in the story that has been adapted, then that's okay. <laughs> that reassures me a little bit. And again, fingers crossed for season two, because I'm, as far as I'm aware, this was a very popular source material and the series did very well. And we can hope for a season two. Um, but if not, I definitely plan to get into the manga. It's very nice. Yeah. I hope they do a physical release too. Oh, it's digital only. No, 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 it's... Is it physical? It's definitely physical. I worked in a bookstore. I've seen it. Let me take a look. I guess I will buy that right now. (laughs) Peter's like, hang on, pause the recording. I have to run out the door. (laughs) Oh, wow, yeah. Skipper is calling to me. order volume eight right now. Yeah, I'm probably going to buy all this. Yeah, I I believe the the anime covers the first four volumes, just like Yuri is my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, nice. a Galaxy Next Door was maybe maybe three or four volumes. Uh, nice. Dang, I'm gonna yeah buy all this right now. <laughs> so while Peter's doing that, while Peter's on a little shopping spree, <laughs> should we um pop down our list into sequels? Yes, let's do it. Uh, Peter, take a break from ordering more Skiplo to tell us about season two of the uh, Ancient Magus Bride. I know that a lot of folks were turned off from this series specifically because of the, I think, anime-only ending of the first season. I wouldn't really call it an ending. It is just a stopping point until they uh, release the second core, because uh, it's a split core, I think, starting in October, starting back up in October. So I don't know if they were trying to wrap anything up. They were just taking a break in production. I can say, like, personally, I've I've been keeping up with the manga ever since the first season came out, uh, which was one of the first animes I worked on at Crunchyroll, I want to say, like, five years ago. So uh, near and dear to my heart, this series. That said, I I didn't... This whole arc felt kind of maybe, I dare I say, underwhelming after the first arc. It kind of blows out the world. She enters this new college there's a ton of new side characters or classmates and just none of them particularly interest me i know a couple of them obviously have some backstory but it's it just like dead mount death play it's very slow in developing these narratives and just a lot of confusing things are happening while this is going on and i i just really needed it to do something i believe that something is finally happening so maybe the next season will have a bit more juice but uh it just a, a little bit frustrating in the way it kind of uh like because chise's development was so core to the, the the first season and she feels a lot more complete now uh and i don't think it's really found its new hook yet uh past whatever it's planning with philomela uh and i guess we have yet to see if that's got uh if it's if there's anything there now that that's finally coming to light that said, the production's still great. Uh, lots of cool magic stuff. Uh, really great art. And it, it's got its moments for sure. But um, I'm, I'm really hoping that I enjoy the next part just because I, I feel so close to the series personally. 
Yeah. And and they yeah, it's it's really focused on her doing school stuff rather than the the kind of uh, romance background stuff. Yeah. Uh like not even then cuz I feel like she say being a magus rather than a sorcerer means she's like kind of leagues uh outside of the experience of everyone else at the school. I don't even know if she really needs the lessons. It's more just like exposing her to the broader culture and society which you find out I I think that might be kind of like maybe the most interesting part where you kind of get exposed to the fact that all these sorcerer houses are like extremely like dark fantasy, noble house, backstabbing, assassinations, poisoning, that kind of thing. Um, but within the school, all of that sort of off limits. So you only kind of hear about this on the peripheral uh, or the periphery rather. If it can get into that stuff, it could be interesting, but it's like you're not really being exposed to new cool magic stuff either since Chisei's already like, kind of super powerful being a sleigh baggy, having a dragon arm, having Yosef's left eye, uh, mm-hmm. all that. So Cool. All right. Well, we'll see how that continues to shape up as it goes along. I know people have big feels about it and also are constantly uh, in anguish about mm-hmm. it. All right. Uh, sh- time now for a shout out of uh, t- to Birdie Wing Girls Golf Story, a show that is absurd. Uh, that I like very much. I, uh, if you liked Akiba Made War last year, you should be watching Birdie Wing. That that is my two second pitch. Um, it is. Uh, it is. It has everything that a stupid, absurd sports series should have, but it's about women. Uh, it's um. So you know you have you have secret techniques and and extremely homoerotic rivals. And absurd effects that have nothing to do with anything. The main uh, duo have uh, what I like to compare to as a very uh, banana fish e type vibe, where Eve is extremely Ash-like as this sort of, you know, troubled punk kid who's who's come from a hard scrabble background, and then Aoi is this, you know, sort of a young sheltered Japanese girl who nonetheless is able to get a rise out of, uh, out of this scene, everything world weary blonde. And it's very good, except that uh, birdie wing is not troubled by last minute tragedy porn. And, uh, but I don't, so birdie wing is a hard series to sum up in a couple of minutes uh, because it just, in the three episode review, for this series, I said that it perhaps wasn't absurd enough, and I rescind that. The first four... <laughs> e- it, it basically takes, like, five episodes to get its feet under it, where the first couple episodes have this sort of air of it wants to be about shady mafia dealings, and there's characters who imply vague sexual menace if Eve loses, and then nothing ever comes of that, and there's, like, a little bit of light fan service here and there, and then all of that immediately goes away after that, like, first four-episode arc is done and it just becomes about ever escalating uh silly golf matches and solving mafia grudges with golf and the phrase i'll kill you in golf said with complete seriousness birdie wing is awesome (laughs) i feel like that's something we can adapt into you know everyday conversation just i'll kill you with golf not actual death threat but I'll, i'll kill you in you know insert uh mm-hmm. <laughs> hobby of your choice <laughs> it, it is on the scale of gay it is slightly less gay than maji revo or uh witch from mercury insofar as 
there's no kiss or confession, but it's it, it's one of those shows that uses a lot of language around like, you know, the entire thrust of the show is this deepening emotional bond between Eve and Oi. Uh, Oi is pretty vocal about being physically attracted to Eve, who is, you know, doing the typical like I, hiding her feelings, gruff, you know, I never I'm indifferent to you type thing for a lot of the show. Um, and but you know, with a with an end goal of language like, I uh, I want to be with her forever type stuff. Where it's like, okay, there's no heterosexual explanation for this, but we've just not said it's gay, uh, which bafflingly puts it in the category of being slightly uh, less explicit than Kandagawa Jet Girls, a show that is objectively worse as a girls' sports series, even though I'm fond of it. But. Yes, no. Birdie Wing is very silly. I feel like it flew under the radar for a lot of people. And you should watch it, folks at home, because we deserve more uh, women-led sports shows that are just stupid, that are just gloriously, amazingly stupid. Yes, we do. Well put. (laughs) All right. Speaking of which from Mercury, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one because, like Yuri is my job, um, we did a full recording, a full hour for the first half, and we will be doing a corresponding one with the same guests for the second half. So we're going to save a lot of the discussion for there. Um, I will just, in the meantime, echo what I said in the write-up recommendation that I did for it, which is that it is a beautifully ambitious show. I love all the characters, and I feel like it pays off their emotional stories well. I think it basically uh, was set up for a glass cliff type fall where it's been five years since iron-blooded orphans stopped airing uh never mind since it started and it had a lot riding on it it had half the runtime of an average gundam show and it still managed to pay off an extraordinary percentage of what it set out to do which i think is pretty incredible it's extremely gay i love my girls i'm i just i'm full of feelings yeah, no, this is this was good. I I watch Gundam now, <laughs> or at least I've watched one. This one got me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I have too much to add to that, especially because yeah, you and the podcast guests will say it better than me. But uh, this was really good. Uh, again, though it may have had some uh, breakneck pacing um, in the second half, as it uh, ambitiously endeavors to cram everything in there. This was I don't I don't think it was a detriment. Like and I, there's a a longer perhaps a more elegantly paced, better version of it that exists in an alternate universe somewhere, but I am still very happy with what we got here. And I really hope that, you know, it helps prop open the door or, you know, kick open the door perhaps for other series that are going to be doing similar things now that we know, you know, through Gundam Gunpla sales that this does work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. People bought like the most Gunpla ever for the gay Gundam series. So suck on that. Sorry, I'm okay. It's it's a very unique series because I feel like it it really accomplished a lot and like grabbed everybody's attention so much despite like a pretty common sentiment that I feel like most people left the ending feeling like they just sort of were only scratching the surface of what they could accomplish given all the like the world they designed and all the characters they had built up that really didn't kind of get a payoff. There's definitely a lot more they could have done the series if it got like a full traditional Gundam run. Uh, the ending I feel was satisfying, but it, it's like kind of a triumph and a tragedy. 
Yeah, a lot of characters had to go and sit in the side character waiting room, the literal side character waiting room for multiple episodes, which yes. is very funny to me. Mm. I mean, there's still room. <laughs> there's still room, of course, for a movie, which, you know, if we're still going off that Ushina parallel, we could have, you know, Gundam Witch, Adolescence of Ushina. Equivalent? I just don't think Marina can can dismantle the entire space corporatocracy in one movie, but I'm willing to watch her try. Mm. <laughs> or I don't think Sleda can turn into a car either, but you never know. It'll be a I believe in her. In this case, yeah. All right. Uh, I feel like I got a lot of my feelings about Tokyo Mew Mew New out on the write up, but. I, I want to shout it out on the podcast anyway for folks because I think this is another one that kind of flew under the radar because it was on high dive and I was surprised how much I really ended up liking it by the end because when we talked about it the first half coming out I was a little bit on the lukewarm of like well I enjoyed things about this and I will watch more because I really like these girls and their friendships it gets exponentially better in the second half it, you can still sort of feel the fact that Magical girl team shows like this are just better when they have a longer running time, you know, like a pre-cure style running time where they can stretch out and spend some time doing character episodes. Um, and, you know, this one, like Witch from Mercury, is running at half of that with 24 episodes. So it kind of, it, it ends up with things where, like, the storyline about the mysterious tuxedo mask type who keeps showing up and what is his secret identity, uh, you end up noticing that Ichigo has to get rescued a lot so that he can show up and we can marvel at how mysterious he is. And that wouldn't be notable if you had a bunch of character episodes in between, but since you've strung this all together, it kind of sticks out. That sort of thing. Um, but mm -hmm. I, it's just so sincere and it's like really going hard on the environmentalist um, angle. Like there's a lot of dialogue about how human, maybe the, maybe the aliens aren't wrong to want to kill us all because look what we've done. Damn. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Mint is a girl boss CEO who's going to go, uh, you know, into inventing wind power. And I love her. And yeah, it's it's I, I don't know. It's just so sweet in a way that I feel like you don't get a chance to see all that much because a lot of. You know, right now in the magical girl space, we sort of have the Madoka likes. You've got Precure and you have like Gacha Game uh, style ones. And so even though this is a legacy remake that's there for, you know, the 25th anniversary, it was kind of a nice reminder of the fact that there are that there is in between room to stretch for shows like this. And, and it was a really good time. And I got a little teary at the end. And I just... I don't know, give this one a shot. I'm really kind of broken up about the fact that it's a subtitle only release because this would be a great show for like 10 year olds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that way about most magical girl shows. Yeah, it, it bums me out. It bums me out like a lot. Uh, but yeah, give, give that one a shot. It is cute and nice. My only complaint, other than the fact that it, early on, the dudes all kind of suck, which even then the show gets better at. Um, and it, it, like by the second half, it's writing them consciously towards, oh, this toxic masculinity is your character flaw. Okay. 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 Cool. Cool. But it could, I wish it had leaned harder into the fact that uh, even going back to the nineties, you, uh, Mint always had a crush on her cool Onesama and you could have done more with making that requited and no, just having them in parallel framings with all the straight couples doesn't quite do it for me, but an attempt was made. <laughs> 
An attempt was made. Does that take us to the end of our list? Not quite. It's not on the list here, but I would be remiss because we didn't have time for anybody to actually write it up for the podcast, but it made a guest appearance on our TikTok. Peter, please tell the people at home about Farmland Saga, by which I mean Vinland Saga Season 2. How do I even uh, summarize it? Uh, I basically, I, I don't know. It really, like, regardless of how you feel about the first season, which was kind of a very uh, intense, historic war seinen series, uh, the second season is where Vinland Saga kind of reaches its thesis statement, where after uh, becoming, like, being victimized by war and then becoming part of, like, the engine that, uh, causes suffering and, and enables slavery uh, and all that. Like Thorfinn uh, is sort of uh, left with like nothing. He doesn't want to fight anymore. Uh, he has no reason to fight anymore. Uh, he doesn't want to cause any more suffering and he ends up becoming enslaved himself. And uh, through his interactions, uh, essentially being a, a owned farmhand, uh, he kind of develops his personal philosophy around violence and uh, overcomes his uh, hopelessness to kind of uh, create a, uh, what you call it, a conviction to find some sort of place in the world or create it where people can live without fear of war or slavery, which of course uh, he believes can be achieved by going to Vinland, right? Which is uh, the Vikings called the Americas. So uh, it's, uh, I want to say that the, this part of the series is pretty hard watch. Uh, they, they do not sugarcoat the, how slaves are treated. Uh, even like, I feel like it even makes a conscious attempt to portray somebody as like a good slaver who is absolutely not good. Um, and like, there are no good slavers, but like uh, it, your, your advanced, what is it, perception of that individual uh, kind of... Uh, I, I think makes the, the realization that you can't own people and be a good person. Uh, a lot of really bad stuff happens. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the, the second season kind of ends with Thorin deciding upon uh, with his, his new uh, friend who was also a victim of war and slavery to, to uh, achieve uh, something within this world where people can be free of, of that sort of suffering and fear. Uh, and that's kind of, where the series was headed the whole time. So, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot happens despite the fact that a good half of this season was, uh, just them trying to grow some wheat. (laughs) Honestly, seems like another series that could have a whole watch along or retrospective about it. Like, yeah, could a lot of meat on them bones. Yeah. Even outside of like the thematics, uh, the series has been really acclaimed for its accurate portrayal of, uh, all the, the multiple regions it takes place in uh, for like its historical accuracy, uh, the, the accuracy of the drawings. I think the guy's got like a museum in the Netherlands now and won some sort of cultural award. So it's kind of in the vein of Golden Kamui where you can learn a lot about the time period uh, and the history uh, of, of like uh, all of the wars and kings during that time, get like a really good idea of how the people lived and like the things they wore and the tools they used because all of it's like, you know, um, era appropriate in addition to this this very unique uh, plot idea um, and all of its its you know accompanying themes so yeah a lot of meat 
I, I feel like maybe that's um that's a hook for some folks who uh, might have been worried that the first season was just a little was would end up being you know hey cool robot about all the vi- the you know horrifying traumatic violence going on. Yeah, Thorin definitely uh, or Thorfinn uh, definitely starts off as kind of a uh, what what's a good a very, like a Sasuke type. Uh, very he's got a lot of man pain, uh, and he ends up killing a ton of people uh but that the whole the whole all of that was just set up toward what happens in the second season so i can see a lot of people thinking that the the series was sort of taking thorfinn's position seriously rather than kind of showing how somebody can end up transforming from a victim into an oppressor i guess rock on yeah i um that's another show on my infinitely long watch list. We'll see. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's that's good to know. And, you know, it's it's nice to know that there are shows that manage to get multiple seasons that do have, you know, those things to say and unfold at a leisurely pace rather than just self-insert isekai power fantasy number 687. So... <laughs> uh, I'm I'm happy for it. Like I'm happy for it and all the fans. And sorry that we weren't able to get stuff done. Uh, Peter's super busy at Crunchyroll. Caitlin has been traveling and doing family stuff. And Tony is still working their way through season two. So sorry. Uh, but yes, I believe that takes us all the way to the end of this incredibly packed season. Thank you so much. Anna fam for joining us. Uh, even at going over long, we didn't have a chance to cover everything or everything in depth. I am sorry, CJ, by the way. So please leave your thoughts down in the comments below if you want to talk more about stuff we mentioned here or talk on a show that we missed. We always love to hear from folks. Uh, if you liked what you heard, you can find more at animefeminist.com. If you really liked what you heard, consider going to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash animefeminist, or our coffee, Ko-Fi, uh, at animefeminist. Those help us pay the bills, pay our contributors, our wonderful transcriber. Our coffee in particular is where we save up for things, uh, long-term goals. Like right now we are working to pay our contributors and editors more because they work hard to make the content you see on the website. And you can also find us on the various social medias. We are on uh, Tumblr, Twitter, reluctantly, and Mastodon, mstdn.social, uh, at anime feminist and we are also on instagram and tiktok at anafem site uh thank you so much for joining us and as we head into the dry summer just remember sometimes anime is good <laughs>